I am battling a bit of a cold a uh, little bit today, and so not hitting on all the cylinders, so hopefully everything I prepared will come out the right way. Um, I was reminded of my mentor that I served under in Virginia. He would get a cold, and he had to do a he had to do radio broadcast. And what he did, he had four 15-minute spots, and he would do them all on one day, and then they would play them over the month. So whenever he got a cold, he would say, "Oh, pray for me," because he said, "I got to record the messages today for the radio, and it's for a whole month." And he said, "Then they play them over the course of the month. They say, 'Listen to that pastor; he's been sick for a month.'" And so. Um, anyhow, hopefully it won't last that long. Today, if you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to pick back up with uh, the second half of the four benefits of being united with Christ. We covered the first two last week that I'll just uh, mention briefly. The first one is our union with Christ supplies our need of encouragement. We talked about how this union with Christ and our need of encouragement is uh, fulfilled in three ways. It gives us access to God's grace, God's peace, and God's throne. And I'm not going to take time to explain all that. We talked about it last week. If you didn't get to hear it, uh, you can listen to it uh, online. And then secondly, our union with Christ supplies our need of comfort. And this comfort is available to us in the midst of trouble. And we can comfort others with the same comfort we ourselves have received from God. Today we're going to continue on with the next two. The third, the third one that we have is our union with Christ supplies our need of fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship happens in the body of Christ. Satan's target, where do you think Satan targets his most poisonous arrows? Well, i got to believe it's the church. He hates the church. He wants to destroy the church. And so he fires his most poisonous arrows at the church. And in particularly, I think he fires them at the leadership of the church. Why? He wants to destroy the church. You destroy the leaders, you destroy the church. And I heard a seasoned pastor just recently... Uh, talk about, and he's been in pastoral ministry a lot longer than I have, and he said the thing that he hates the most in the church is apathy. That's what he hates the most. But he said the thing that he fears the most is disunity. He fears disunity in the church the most. And I think it's a fear of every pastor The church has also faced threats from within and without ever since its inception. Outwardly, the church has faced persecution. Whenever the church testifies and tries to share the gospel, we face persecution, opposition from the outside. On the inside, the church faces heresy, where there's doctrinal differences and try to divide people and disunify the church. That's what Satan is trying to do, is dismantle the unity that is in the body of Christ. The Greek word for church in the Bible is ekklesia. It it means a called out assembly. It comes from the two words ek, which means out of, and kaleo, which means called out. It is a called out assembly. 
that you and I have been called out of darkness into his wonderful light. God has called us to this. He has also called us into fellowship with his son. Here he says in 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Because you see, our union with one another is a direct connection to our union with Christ. How you and I are united with Christ will impact how we are united with each other. And he tells us in 1 Corinthians 1-2 that we are called to be holy. God calls us to be holy. In Acts 2-42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. See, the fellowship comes out of the teaching. Without proper teaching and preaching of God's Word, we will not have proper fellowship in the body of Christ. Teaching and preaching God's Word is essential to have healthy fellowship in the church. And that's why we have to faithfully teach and preach the Word of God. Without the Word of God being preached and taught, the fellowship will erode into a disunity. And there will be fighting and bickering and quarreling and all kind of sin in the church. Unless we realize that our unity in the fellowship comes out of our unity with Christ. If Actually, if you flip, uh, actually, I'll just show you the verse in Philippians 4, 2. Every church has its challenges in the fellowship. Every church has its challenges. The church in Philippi was no different. They had a lot of good things in the church going on, but there were still people at odds with each other. Oh, let me back up. I thought I had this uh, verse there. Oh, no, I got this. Okay. Uh, let me just go by this a second, and I'll come back to this. Paul says in Philippians 4, 2, I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. We don't know what the dispute was, but these two ladies were not getting along in the church. And Paul says, I entreat you, I implore you, I admonish you to get along. How? In the Lord. Because that's where the unity comes, is when you and I are walking with God, honoring the Lord in what we're doing, we will get along in the Lord. Now, I want to back up here a minute. Church member. This comes out of a, a book by Tom Rayner where it says, I am a church member. That's the name of the book. I am a church member. In chapter 2, he talks about unity. And I'll have to get maybe Anthony to help me post this, but I'd like to post this online and for you to read this this week and consider this being a part of your attitude and your spirit. I am a church member. I will seek to be a source of unity in my church. I know there are no perfect pastors, staff, or other church members. I know that's a shock to everybody, right? But neither am I. I will not be a source, it shouldn't be sources, I will not be a source of gossip or dissension. One of the greatest contributions I can make is to do all I can in God's power to help me keep the church in unity for the sake of the gospel. That's quite a pledge, isn't it? And that should be a pledge every one of us should make. And every one of us should strive to keep. If we kept this pledge, we could finish the sermon. <laughs> Right? But the challenge is for all of us to do this. 
And I just want to remind you about some of the churches, you know, a church in the New Testament, the church in Corinth. What kind of church was the church in Corinth? They had divisions, they had quarreling, they had self-centeredness, they had spiritual immaturity, they had immorality, they had lawsuits, they had marriage issues, they had eating food sacrificed to idols, they had judging, they had abusing the Lord's Supper, confusion over spiritual gifts, lack of biblical love, disorder in their worship, just to mention a few. That was a few things they had going on. You go over to the book of James, and I know you taught in James just recently. Believers were facing listening to God's Word, but not practicing God's Word, showing favoritism, catering to certain people because of their economic status or position, problems with their tongues, communicating in ungodly ways, envy, selfish ambition, fights, quarrels, wrong motives in their prayers, self-centered, pride, self-indulgence, injustice. These are all within the realm of the body of believers. Because we all are growing, we all have brokenness, we all need to grow and develop in Christ-likeness. And as I preach to you, I'm preaching to myself first. The foundation of fellowship is our union with Christ. Until we are united with Christ, we cannot truly be united with those in the church who are believers. He tells us in Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Harmony, thoughtful planning, the underlying disposition and attitude that we have has an impact on how we treat one another. How we treat one another flows out of the attitude and the spirit with which we have toward that person. Do we have a spirit of cooperation? Are we looking for ways to strengthen the body of Christ and build up the body? Or are we so haughty that we become marked arrogant by a feeling of superiority? And we become exalted and proud. We have our head in the clouds. We have answers to everyone's problems, but our own. A haughty person becomes bossy, overwhelming in their power. But what does Paul say? To associate with the lowly, the humble. The cohesion in the body of Christ is our union with Christ. In Philippians 2, what does he say? If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship from the Spirit... This fellowship meets our need for companionship. He tells us in Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. We need one another in the body of Christ. And the fellowship takes care of our need of companionship. There's also, this word fellowship means participation. It comes from the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia means participation and it's joint participation where we come together and we serve together. We pray together. We bear one another's burdens and fulfill the, Christ, uh, fulfill the law of Christ. We share together. It's all of that. Bearing, sharing, caring, serving. 
He tells us in Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That means you have weights that you carry and you don't have to carry them all alone. There's some weights we have to carry alone. God tells us we've got to carry the certain burdens that we have to carry. But there's other burdens that are so heavy, we need to share those in the body of Christ. And we do that through a prayer request. And in that prayer request, we pray together and we help carry that load for you as you share that. And you should have freedom in sharing that load and that struggle in the body of Christ. But then there's other times where we have to bear with one another. Not just bear one another's burdens, but he says bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, what are we supposed to do? Forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Now this word of bearing has the idea of enduring something unpleasant or that is difficult on you or on behalf of someone else. It is an act of love to do that, to be able to do that. The other thing is sharing. We talked about bearing. There's also sharing my resources. God has given the church spiritual gifts. He tells us, but as it is, he's talking about gifts in the body. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. So God has placed all of us in the body, and if we had time to go through the whole church, we would find we all came from different places. We all have different experiences, different backgrounds, different personalities, different spiritual gifts, but God wants to use every one of those. Do you know the word for, for uh, gift, the spiritual gift in the body of Christ is charisma? Charisma. And charisma is a gift of grace. So here's what God has done to create a fellowship in the body of Christ. He has given gifts of grace to the body of Christ. One of the gifts of grace that He has given us, actually before even spiritual gifts, is the gift of salvation. The gift of salvation is a gift of grace. He's given us the gift of righteousness. That is a gift that God has given us. Those are all gifts of grace. He's given us spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. Every one of those gifts are gifts of grace. But here's what can happen. Well, look at him. He can't do that. Well, maybe he hasn't been gifted to do that. God has used the whole body of Christ with all the... Not one person has all the gifts. And so he uses all of us together, combined to use the gifts together to strengthen the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ with those gifts of grace. And so our responsibility is to discern what is the gift of grace that God has given you or gifts of grace that God has given you allow you to use those gifts of grace in the body of Christ to build up the fellowship in the church. That's what God has called us to do. Was, what does Satan want to do? What did he do in the, the book of Corinth, or in Corinth, the church in Corinth? He tried to get them to attack each other instead of working together to accomplish the work of God. He's given us the gift of eternal life. So teaching, encouraging, giving generously, leadership, showing mercy are all gifts of grace. And even in Corinth, he talked about the gift of celibacy and the gift of marriage are spiritual gifts from the Lord. 
Every one of those are gifts from God. And so we have the privilege of God bringing together all of these gifts to encourage fellowship in the body of Christ, to participate together for the purpose of exalting Christ and advancing his gospel. That's what the church is called to do. We also, so not only bearing, sharing, caring, caring. How do we care? If one member suffers, all suffer together. Talk about solidarity. Talk about a band of brothers. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So one member is over here crying because they have a terrible hurt. We gather around and cry with them. Why? We want to feel their pain. We want to help carry their pain and share with them in the body of Christ. That's what biblical fellowship does. But if you have people at odds with one another, are they going to come together and share pain? It's doubtful. They're too busy sitting back judging the person rather than finding out what is going on in their life. So this sharing and caring and bearing is all for the purpose of edification in the body of Christ, building up in the context of using these gifts in the body of Christ is loving submission. Loving submission to God. We are called to initiate involvement in each other's lives. We are called to encourage one another. He tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.14 to encourage the, the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone, be kind to each other, to minister the gospel of grace. When a fellowship fails to function properly because of ignorance or neglect of the truth, you will find division and dysfunction. Sin causes division and dysfunction in the body of Christ. Let me say that again. Sin causes division and dysfunction in the body of Christ. And if you look at the list of sins in the New Testament, what you will find is most of them are relational. <laughs> Let me give you an example. Sexual immorality, that's a relational sin. That is someone violating another person in the physical area, and when you do that, that's a sin. But it's a relational sin. Impurity is a relational sin. When you poison your mind with something, because it impacts how you fellowship with somebody else. Lust, anger, rage, malice, where did all those things come from? You're mad at somebody, you get raged to them, you want to fight them. I'll never forget when I was a teenager, I, I saw one of the most horrendous Things that I can, I can still see these two ladies rustling on the floor, pulling at each other's hair. Two grown women 
fighting, literally rolling on the floor, pulling in each other's hair because something happened where one hurt the other person, and that was their answer to fix it. That's not God's answer in the body of Christ. We practice forgiveness. We practice restoration. We practice healing in the body of Christ. Slander, relational. Filthy language, relational. Lying, relational. Jealousy, bitterness, selfishness, unforgiveness, pride. All of these are relational sins that impact relationships. And all of these sins war against the unity of the church. How do we handle that sin? We have to kill it. How do we kill it? By the Spirit of God. See, notice what he says, if any fellowship with the Spirit, because it is only by the Spirit of God that you and I will kill that sin in our lives. That's the only way. He says in Romans 8.13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We put those things to death by the Spirit of God. I get on my knees in prayer and I say, God, and I ask Him to forgive me of these sins and I turn away from those sins and I don't practice them anymore, but it's only by the Spirit of God in me that I can stop those sins and kill them. And that's what God calls us to do, kill sin in our lives. Well, let's move on to the fourth one. The fourth benefit we have of being united with Christ. Our union with Christ supplies our need of compassion. Our need of compassion. See, these are all needs that we have. We all need encouragement. We all need comfort when we're hurting. We all need fellowship. We need somebody. And that's why God said it's not good for man to be alone. And we all need compassion. We all need love, tenderness, and compassion, he says. And this kind of comes from an interesting word because it talks about inward parts or bowels. Now, for us, we're like, what in the world is that? Well, what he's talking about here is it's so deeply entrenched in my life that I have this deep felt compassion. I have a great affection. I have a great love. It later came to mean the seat of mercy, loving mercy. It's a guiding inner disposition which leads to mercy towards someone. For instance, in Luke 10.33, the Samaritan, as he journeys, it says he came to where this man who was robbed was beaten and laying bleeding along the road. And it says when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he was a Samaritan, but the man lying there was a Jew, and they hated each other. And yet his compassion overrode his ethnic, cultural bias to minister to this man. You know, it's a shame, isn't it, in our culture that we can't even get along because somebody has a different color of skin. 
I mean, that's sad. That should never be in the body of Christ. He ministered to him. He had compassion. In Philippians 1, chapter 1, verse 8, look what Paul says. Paul says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul had that deep compassion for the people in Philippi. It's the seat of the positive stirring of pity. It's a father's affection. If you're, let's take a father, for instance. Your child's attacked. What's a father do? He's going to go protect, and he's going to go to the aid of his child. He's going to run at the very instant that child cries. Why? Because of the pity and compassion he has for his children. A mother, something happens to your child, what do you do? Don't mess with my child, you say. Reminds me of the commercial on TV. I don't even remember what they were advertising, but the, the boy's running in his football uniform down the field, and the mother's running along the sideline with him. Don't you hit my boy, <laughs> you know, type thing. Don't you hit my boy. <laughs> Mother's instinct, compassion to care for. That's the kind of compassion we need in the body of Christ. I think of the story of the prodigal son. The Bible says while the young prodigal was way off in the distance, the father was standing there and he saw him and he had compassion on him. Think about that. A broken man who broke his father's heart. I'm sure we have some fathers here that have some broken hearts over their kids. A broken-hearted father looking at a broken son, he comes running to him, and actually the father runs to him. And he puts his arms around him and he braces him. And he tells his dad, I've sinned against you. I forgive you, son. Is there somebody here who has wronged you? Have you forgiven them? Or do you still harbor a grudge against them? How's the fellowship with you and them? How is it? I think about Jesus feeding the 5,000. It said he saw the large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. A deep awareness of someone's suffering. He goes on to tell us in verse 2 of Philippians, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do we have the same mind? We do if we believe the same gospel. We do if we're reading the same book. We do if we're being led by the same Spirit. That's what unifies us. He tells us that we are to walk in the Spirit. If we're walking in the Spirit, if we're obeying the Word of God, if we're living out the Word of God, we are going to do it in unison. We're going to have the same mind. 
our attitude will be the same. There'll be a desire for togetherness, seeking to hear and obey the voice of God. I don't know about you, but I look forward to Sunday being with God's people, to be built up in the faith, to be encouraged in the faith, to be challenged by God's word, to sing the praises of God. And that's why Satan is trying to destroy the church. He goes on to say not only like-minded, but having the same love. The same love. No matter how bad your past, no matter what you look like, I love you. I love you. Is that what my actions communicate? Do my actions communicate that I love the person? Are there people in the church that you have yet to meet that have been here a while? What's stopping you from meeting them? Have you taken the initiative to get to know them? You say, yeah, there's a lot of people I don't know. Well, why don't you start meeting them one at a time and getting to know them? Even outside of church. That's a novel idea. Get to know them. The same love. Peter said it this way, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And then he goes on to say, united being one in spirit and purpose, united, one sold, possess a common affection that will not let anything come between us. There's a harmony in being joined together in soul or sentiment that signifies community of life and love. Strive to give a person the benefit of the doubt. Realize that you may not have the whole story. You've got bits and facts, and those bits and facts may not even be true. Don't be part of the gossip train. The Bible speaks a lot about gossip because it is a problem in the church. James talked about the tongue and the problem that it brings. God wants us to be united in that. In Proverbs 20:19, he says, "The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. See, gossip separates people. It, it, it destroys the fellowship that God desires. Proverbs 20:19, "A gossip betrays a confidence. So avoid anyone who talks too much. Proverbs 26:20, "Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. Psalm 141, verse 3, Set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. See, the real question is, is your name safe in my mouth? Is it safe? Is what I say about you what I would say if you were present? It's important. But Satan uses gossip to attack the fellowship. 
He goes on to say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Selfish ambition is a feeling of resentfulness based on jealousy and implying rivalry. Rivalry is wanting to be better than anyone else or wanting people to think I'm better than anyone else. Rivalry in the church has no place for fellowship. Vain conceit, empty pride, vain pride, tearing down the work or ideas of others, a critical attitude. Some people, the only reason they want to buy the latest fad is to be first or experience something. You know, I've experienced this before they did. Now I can talk about it. It's this idea of just being first. And it's selfish. But what does he go on to say? But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Humility. The mentality of a slave. The one who says, I'm not entitled to anything. I deserve God's wrath and judgment. Only because of His grace and mercy do I have anything. Only because of the gift of His grace do I have anything at all. One man said, humility and grace make up the antidote to the poison of excessive pride. And I think it's true. He goes on to say, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. That's not easy to do. Better than yourselves. And then he says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Why? Because what is good for me may not be good for you. What is helpful to me may not be helpful to you. And so do I consider, is this a benefit to my brother or sister in Christ? Even what I'm saying to them, is is my words a benefit of what's coming out of my mouth? to someone else. Think about your classmates at school. Are you seeking to make them a better follower of Jesus Christ by your involvement in their lives or are you seeking to pull them away from the fellowship with your spirit, your attitude, your words? Are you pulling them away from the fellowship by your behavior? What about another fellow athlete? It's pretty easy to become jealous over another athlete and their abilities and accomplishments and say, man, that's hard. But God says, in humility, consider others better than yourself. Or maybe somebody in your family that you have trouble getting along with. Maybe the first place to start is to look into the mirror of God's Word and say, God, what is wrong with me? What do you want to change in me? Because usually we come into the church and we say, well, you know, this sermon's not, man, that's a great sermon, Pastor Roy, for (laughs) so-and-so. Well, this sermon's for me. And it's for you. God has called us to that. 
Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. While we do, let me just mention with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you're a church member. Will you make the pledge to be the church member that God has called us to be? I will seek to be a source of unity in my church. I know there are no perfect pastors, staff, or other church members, but neither am I. I will not be a source of gossip or dissension. One of the greatest contributions I can make is to do all I can in God's power to help keep the church in unity for the sake of the gospel. It's a tall order that God has called us to, but every one of us have a responsibility because every one of us either contribute to unity or we contribute to disunity. We have a choice to make every day, not just on Sunday, every day, how we carry ourselves out in public. See, the fellowship doesn't stop here. It's carried on through the week and how we fellowship outside the walls of the church as well. The testimony of God is at stake in how we fellowship together. The testimony of God is at stake for how we show love to one another. May God help us do that in a way that exalts Christ and advances the gospel. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've never invited Him into your life, the Bible says we are born in sin, and it separates us from God. But God in His grace and mercy sent Jesus to the cross to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to a holy God. If you want to begin the process of being united with Christ, it's recognizing your sinfulness and your brokenness and bringing it to God and saying, God, I want you in my life. I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Give me a new heart. Help me learn how, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then begin that journey. For those of us who are believers, God, help us to be the church member you want us to be to promote unity in the body of Christ to advance your gospel. If we can help you in any way, we'd be glad to pray with you and meet with you after the service. So please seek us out. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.